with high priority. Um, I talked about this a little bit with our team back, I don't even know how many months ago, but I did talk about this a little bit. But what I want to talk to you about is culture and, and creating the right culture even within a church. And so what culture is, is culture is the attitudes and behavior characteristics of a particular social group. So culture has a lot more to do with everybody, but really everybody is a bunch of individuals, right? Culture is, is about the individual. And so we as a church right now, we're, we're three weeks in, technically four, I guess, if you count the soft opening. But we're three weeks into to just starting this church. Um, we're in a very crucial time because right now we have the opportunity to establish healthy church culture. We have the opportunity to build right now a culture that we, that we're, that we envisioned from the beginning that we desire a culture that is welcoming, a culture that is loving, a culture that is relational, a culture that is spiritual, a culture that is not ashamed, right? We want to establish the right culture right now. And so I really want to talk about this today for, um, for just a little bit. But, but one way to see the culture that we want to establish is you look to our core values. And, and we're going to talk more about the core values at our growth track. So if you want to know what, all, what they all are, you got to go to growth track. Because um, I'm not going to say them now. It's a surprise. And so, um, but this is the truth is that you're not here by accident. It's not like, I mean, I know that some of you guys are like, well, I'm just visiting. Like, don't, I'm not committed to the church yet. It's okay. It's all right. I'm just going to pretend that you are, okay? Um, you're not here by accident, and it takes all of us to build the right culture. And so who you, are as a, who you are as an individual has a lot to do with what kind of church we'll become. And so I think already we've, we've, we have a kind of a cool church. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I'm like, this is a cool church, like, this is cool. Like, and it's not even because, like, you know, we're the pastors, but I remember when we first moved to Texas, we were like, I don't even know, we don't know anybody. How are we going to start a church? And, and here we are with a bunch of really cool people. And so um, you're not here by accident. You have an opportunity with us to start this culture. Because the best time to establish culture is in the beginning. It's much harder to, to recreate culture than to establish culture. It's harder to, to recreate something than build it from the ground up. And so right now, we want to establish the right culture. And the truth is this, is that as, as the pastors, we came in and we have a vision. We have a strategy. We have an idea of where we want to go, how we want to get there. But the truth is this, is that culture overcomes or trumps strategy and vision any day. If you have the right strategies and the right vision but the wrong culture, You'll never accomplish that right vision. You get, do you guys get what I'm saying here today? So, and the reason I'm talking about this is because all of us, we're all in, we all do this, right? We're all in this. No. We all do this together. Like, we're all building this church together. And so every one of us has a role in this culture. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 6.10. He's basically teaching the disciples how to pray. And he says this. He said, he's basically saying this. Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying this. He's saying, look, we want the culture of heaven to be established on earth. We want what it looks like in heaven to look like on earth. We, so another word, what we can say is we want our church to look like heaven. Now, don't get all weird on me, right? Like, I'm not saying we're going to, you know, paint. The, well, I mean, the whole room is white already. I'm, but I'm not saying, like, we're going to, you know, get, we're going to put gold on the floor. And, you know, we're going to make it look like heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But, but the heavenly culture is more of an attitude and a spirit, not just the way that it looks or the way it sounds. 
And so what is heavenly culture? Heavenly culture is diverse. Heavenly culture is welcoming. Heavenly culture is loving. Heavenly culture is relational. Heavenly culture is spiritual, right? Heaven, th these are the things of heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is like, my desire for you is that you would establish godly culture on the earth today. But this is the thing is that it's hard to do that. Like if you look at the earth, like you ever look and think like, man, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Like it's not really good right now. Like there's a lot of bad things. And, and so if you look at the grand, like the big picture and say, man, we have to change the world, it's kind of seems impossible. But if you look at it and say, well, if I change my culture, then maybe I can change my friend's culture. Maybe I can help them. And if, if I can help them, maybe can, they can help their friend. And, and maybe they can help their family. And maybe that family can help their community. And maybe that community can help that neighborhood. And maybe that neighborhood can help that city. And maybe that city can help that state. And we go on and on and on and on. But it starts with a change of culture. Do you ever notice that, like, I, I'm from California, and my neighborhood that I, that I was living in was not a nice neighborhood. It was a very like, it was a bad neighborhood. And, and I remember being there, and they would do all these things with the city. They would try to throw all these events and try to change the, 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 the way that the city ran, the, 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 the crime rate, and all that. They would try to change these things. And, but they were never changing the culture. They were just having new ideas and new strategies and new events and new park things. And, and so nothing ever changed because if you don't change culture, you don't change anything. Culture is, an, is a lasting change. And so the truth is this, is that every one of us have a culture. You have established a culture in your life whether you believe it or not. The kind of person you are right now is a culture. The kind of home that you've established for yourself and your family or the kind of home that you are growing up in or grew up in, that is a culture, right? Like, like we have a, my family has a culture. Your family has a culture. Every one of us has a culture. But this is the truth is that there's two very important types of cultures. And there's a flesh culture and there's a spirit culture. So flesh, when I say flesh, I mean anything really man or sinful or like sinful desires, natural desires that are not godly, right? So there's flesh and there's spirit. And obviously at the church, we don't want a culture of flesh, right? I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. We want a culture that is spirit-led. And this is what Galatians 6, 8 says. It says, for the one who sows into, into his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So what is the scripture saying? It's telling us this, is that if you, if you sow and devote yourself to the flesh, what you're going to reap are things of the flesh. But if you sow and devote yourself to things that are godly or things that are spiritual, you're going to reap and grow things that are godly and things that are spiritual. Are we all following along here today? Okay, I, I didn't, I, my back was turned. I'm sure everybody nodded their head, right? <laughs> I'm like, because I didn't hear anybody say it, but it's cool. We're, we're still, we're still, we're a new church. It's okay. So spirit-led culture is allowing God to guide and mold our culture. And flesh-led culture is allowing man or us or those around us to guide and mold who we become. Does that make sense? And since we've been called, since we've been called to establish heaven's culture on earth, we have to begin to change our own personal culture. And the truth is, is culture is built one decision at a time. Um, we're going to read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2 through 6, um, th this moment where Abraham, if you don't know Abraham, Ab Abraham is considered the father of our faith. There's a lot of history to Abraham that we don't really have time to get into today. But if you want to talk about this afterwards, again, I'm all ears. We can talk about this. But the story is about Abraham. And so Abram said to 
said, oh Lord, what will you give me? So God, excuse me, God promises Abraham a, a generational line, a bunch of kids. But the problem is, is Abraham's wife is barren. She cannot have children. I think she's like 99 years old or 100 years old. Yeah, you can't, I feel like you can't have kids then. That's kind of old. But this woman is old. Abraham cannot have kids. And God makes his promise to Abraham. says, hey, you're going to have a bunch of, you're going to have generations and generations. And so this is his response. He says, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So basically the one that he does have in his home is not even his own. And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, said to him, so shall your descendants be. So here's God giving the promise to Abraham. Look outside, count the stars. Obviously you can't. This is going to be your descendants. You're going to have so many that you can't even count them. And it's not going to come from your, the man in your house. It's going to come from your own body. So this is Sarah. So, so in Genesis 16, too, you jump one chapter over. Sarah's response says, so Sarah said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So Sarah's saying this to Abram. Listen, I'm too old. You cannot have kids with me. Go have a kid with my, with my maidservant. And we'll just count that as your time, right? Like that'll just be your kid. That'll be your heir. That, that's the fulfilling of God's promise. So what we have here is, so Abraham does this. I don't know. That was weird culture back then, right? Like that, it doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, Abraham does this. He goes and he sleeps with his maidservant. She gets pregnant. She has a son named Ishmael. Okay, now if I'm, if I'm going, just, I'm sorry, but we got to get through this, okay? So he, he has a son named Ishmael through, through Sarah's maidservant, okay? So, and then we see later on in scripture that finally Abraham gets his act together. He's like, okay, God, I'm going to believe what you say. He ends up sleeping with his own wife, which is a good idea, right? He sleeps with his own wife, and she gets pregnant with a son, and that son is named Isaac. And so what happens is you see Ishmael and Isaac. Now, Ishmael, if you look down the line from his, his lineage, Ishmael developed a people group or a culture that was ungodly. And we see that Isaac, from Isaac, we get our, our, our culture of Christianity or our belief in God or those who follow God. So what, what you essentially have is two different cultures, one from Ishmael, one from Isaac. And what that is is based on a response to God's promise. So Abraham created two different cultures because one was a response to man, which was Sarah, and one was a response to God, which was a promise. So Ishmael is born of natural conception. He has no promise. And he's in, he was born in response to man or pressure from his wife. Isaac, born of supernatural conception, there is promise attached to Isaac and its response to God. So you build your own culture every single day by making decisions that are either in response to God or are in response to man. So you build your life daily by making the decision that you are either feel is okay or feel is the right way or things that I know that this is God's way. Of doing things. Does that make sense today? So I'll put it this way. Like every single day you build your culture, right? And I'm going to talk about this a lot because honestly, I don't like to work out. Does anybody like to work out in here? Don't raise your hand. You make me feel bad about myself, okay? I don't like to work out. I don't do it. I'm going to get a gym pass and that is strictly to play basketball, okay? That's it. I don't feel like investing time to learn how to use weights. I mean, you just pick them up, right? I mean, anyway, okay. So 
But this is the thing is, if I go to the gym once, am I a gym guy? No, I'm not, right? And I'm not going to kid myself, right? I know that I'm not a gym guy. I don't want to be one. But if I go, if I go multiple times, if it, it becomes a lifestyle, if I start going every day, every day, every day, then what? I become a gym guy, right? If I, if I, another one is eating healthy, right? Like, I don't want to eat healthy either, okay? Um, but I do because it's good, right? But you eat healthy, right? But if you eat healthy once, are you considered a healthy eater? No, right? You have to have what? A lifestyle of eating healthy to become that. So when it comes to spiritual culture, just because you come to church on one Sunday, that does not mean you have spiritual culture. Just because you... You, you pray like once every six months. That does not mean you have spiritual culture. Now, I'm not trying to get on you or like, hey, you got to get your act together. I'm just trying to get us all together on the same page of understanding what I'm talking about. So if you, if you say like, man, I really want to follow God or I really want to be obedient to God or I really want a culture that is godly in my life or in my home, then it takes daily decisions of responding to God's voice in a, in a, in a response out of obedience and faith. Because this is the truth, is that your personal culture matters to us. It matters to me how you live your life. And there's a couple of reasons. One, because I honestly care about people. Like, I want the best for everyone in this room. Everybody outside, I, no, I'm just kidding. Yes, I want best for everybody, right? But, but for those that are in this room, it's, I feel like it's like, man, I want the best for you. I want you to do the best that you can. I want you to follow God and, and do his will for your life because it's the best thing you'll ever do. But number two is because your personal culture has an effect on your social group. Who you are as an individual has an effect on who we become as a church. Does that make sense? So it, it matters to us that, that we're all living right with God, that we're all being obedient to God, because if we really want to see change in our families, if we really want to see change in our cities, if we really want to see change in our neighborhoods or wherever, we, wherever we're looking at, it requires us to change first. In, in Romans 12, 3 through 5 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed it to eat, a lot to eat to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many, many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We who are many are one. So we as a church, is just a collection of you as an individual, right? Like, you matter to us. You make the church. The church is not just the guys with the mics and the guys that sing. And the, that's not the church. This, this like, like, this is the church. Like, we're the church. It matters to us who you are as an individual because you play a very important role in our church. See, spiritual culture is per perfected in a group when spiritual culture is purified or, or practiced in the individual. So if we want a spirit-led church, we need to have spirit-led people. Does that make sense? Because we are a collection of you. And this is the truth. is The more flesh or disobedience or ungodliness that is in your life, that means the more flesh or disobedience or ungodliness that is in the church. But the more spirit you have, the more spirit that's in the church. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying if you have problems or if you have sin or if you're messed up, then we don't want you. Absolutely not. We will take anybody. We are, our doors and our arms are open to absolutely anybody. So I'm not saying you have to be perfect. What I'm saying is, is that we have to understand that we're called to higher things by God. We're called to a better life 
by God, there's calling, there's, there's purpose to your life, and it matters how you live. It matters how you live. We'll still love you. If you say, man, I don't really want to do any of this God stuff, but I just want to come for the free coffee, like, we'll still love you. We'll still care about you. We still want you here. But this is what we believe. We believe that everybody has potential to be godly. Everybody has potential to be spiritual. Everybody. And so we preach this. I'm preaching this to say this is a culture that we want, and you can be a part of it. But there's some things that we need to change in our lives. And it's very simple. Uh, and and I, we're, we're almost through the message. I know that I'm like, my head is like in, in and out line already. Like, I'm already there. I'm starving. I didn't eat breakfast. There was no donuts today. I'm sorry, guys. If you got here, you're like, there's no donuts. And you're like, this is the last time I'm coming. I'm sorry, okay? I can't promise that they'll be here next week, but you got to come and see. Like, I'm sorry. But I'm hungry, and I know. But we're, 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 we're getting through it, and I'm hoping this is going to help us today. Okay, I'm hoping this is going to help us. And so, so you kinda, it kind of puts you in a position where you're like, okay, you're saying all these things that seem like it's for somebody else. Where I'm like, that's not really me. Like, I'm not spiritual. I'm not, I'm not really godly. I'm not, like, I'm not really that good of a person. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of there with you. Like, I need a lot of help. So I want to give you some things that you can practice today. I'm going to give you some practical things that you're like, okay, I'm going to take this home and I'm going to do this today. Like, I'm going to start right now. And these practical things are going to be things that if you would begin to do them daily, you would absolutely see your life begin to change. Is that good? Okay, write these down. I'm hoping we're recording. It'll be on the podcast if you don't write it down. So some healthy traits that you should develop in your life for a godly culture is, number one, you should develop a culture of prayer. You should absolutely develop a culture of prayer. As Christians, we should have a time in our lives, in our day, where we spend and devote to God. Where we just talk to him. And some of us are like, oh, I don't even really know how to pray. That's okay. Just talk to God. Just talk to God. Like, you may be like, well, he's not listening. I don't feel like he's there. Just keep talking to him. The Bible says, Jesus says this, that if you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek him, you will find him. If, if, he says, if you knock, the door will be open. But, but what does that mean? That means that you have to at least try. There has to be some effort on your part. So establish a prayer life. Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Matthew 26, 41 says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. They ever like wonder, like, why do I keep doing the things that are bad? Like, why do I keep going and doing these things I don't want to do anymore? Maybe it's because we're not praying enough. Because it says here that if we just pray, we'll have strength so that we don't give into temptation. And the last scripture I want to share about prayer is Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And so my point is this. If, if Jesus needed to withdraw himself to pray, what more? how much more do we need to do that? If Jesus himself, like, we're talking about Jesus, like, Jesus, Jesus, not, you know what I'm saying, like, Jesus. If he needed to pray, it says he often withdrew himself to pray. He often got away from his friends. He often got away from his disciples. He often got away from the community, and he went by himself to pray. And now if Jesus needs to do that, what, how much more do we? I mean, I don't know about, I don't know, like, how strong you are, but I know me. And I know that there's a lot of things in my life that I need help with. There's a lot of mentalities in my, in, in my thinking that I need help with. There's a lot of, a lot of struggles and, and things in my life that I'm like, God, I need you. And so if I'm never in prayer, then I never have power to overcome those things. If I'm never in prayer, then the way that I think will never change, right? 
Some of us have insecurities about ourselves. Some of us have depression or anxiety or worry. And it's like, well, how do we get over these things? How do I overcome these things? It's, it's not easy, but it's simple. You pray. You pray. Because in prayer, we we're able to hear the voice of God. A prayer life should be a part of, of, of our individual culture. Because if there's a lack of prayer in the church, it's because there's a lack of prayer in the individual's a culture of prayer aligns us with the will of God. Can, can I be honest with you? My prayer life when I was growing up in church was awful, terrible. Like, I didn't, I didn't even think it really existed, to be honest with you. I didn't pray. I remember when I got married, my wife and I are going on seven years in November, which is cra absolutely crazy. Because the first two years were like, we, we can't do this. Like, this is hard. But I remember when I got married, I didn't pray. And so we'd constantly be fighting. We'd constantly be arguing. We'd constantly, right, like the dumbest arguments too, like the dumbest thing. I don't know if anybody could relate to the dumb arguments, but like we'd argue over like Taco Bell, like, right, like, or, or, or where are we eating today? Where are we eating today was like the start of the bad day, right? Like, you get what I'm, like, you get where I'm coming from. Like, there's these arguments, and I remember I would respond to them in a way that was ungodly. And so I'd be fighting with my wife, not because of who she was, but because of who I was. And so my response to my wife was based off of the culture of flesh that was in myself. Right? So when I should have shown patience, I was frustrated. When I should have shown love, I was defensive. Right? Is, can anybody relate to me here? Like, these are the things that I struggled with. And I remember one time, like, like if I'm being serious, guys, this is how bad it was. Like, I, I would park my truck because I worked with air, air conditioning. So I'd park my truck in front of my house and I'd say, God, I cannot go inside. Like, she's crazy. <laughs> she's in the other room, but, but it's okay. Like, I still tell her, like, baby, you're crazy. But see, I kind of like her crazy. Like, I like her new crazy now. It's fun. <laughs> but, I'm like, but I'm like, God, I can't do this. Like, I, I can't go inside because we're just going to fight. Like, and I remember thinking, like, God, this marriage was not your will. Like, there's absolutely no way. Like, God, can you please? I, I literally pray this, and she knows this. I said, God, can you please get me out of this because it's too hard. And I remember that. And I remember one time we had this huge fight. And I went outside, right, because I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't. So I went outside and I just prayed. And, of course, what is our prayer? God, change them. Right, like, Lord, help my wife, man. She needs, God, she needs to just see that I'm right all the time. Like, can you just show her these things? And so I remember praying that. I prayed that. And God was like, like, he didn't say it in these words, but I'm paraphrasing. He's like, dude, like, listen, listen to me, son. You need to understand that you have to change yourself first. And I was like, okay. I don't think that that's not God, right? Like I started looking at the scripture. I was like, I don't see that anywhere. But he's like, no, you have to change yourself first. And, and, and so what happened is, is he began to tell me that I needed to establish a prayer life for myself because this is what began to happen. When I began to pray for my marriage, when I began to pray for my wife, this was before we had any kids, before we had any kids, when I began to pray for my wife, arguments would happen, and God would tell me, he would tell me to apologize. Now, I was for sure like this is not God, because I didn't do anything wrong. But he would tell me, I'd be in my, in my room like God, because now instead of yelling at my wife, I went to the room to pray. Because we still argued, there was still bickering, there was still, there was still, there was, we needed time to grow, we needed time to heal. And so I would go to the room and pray, and the Lord would tell me, you need to go apologize to your wife. And I, you know, like, I'm like, God, I don't like that advice. 
but he would tell me, you need to go apologize to your wife. And so what I began to do is I began to be obedient to God because now I was able to listen to his voice because now I had a prayer life. Same thing with my kids. Same thing with people. Same thing with the way that I live my life. Same thing with the little things that I do daily. Because of my prayer life, I'm able to, to walk in the will of God because I hear his voice. Now, if you're not praying, you're not able to do those things. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I, I still apologize. That's just because you're like, really, you're a lot better than I am. But I'm still saying, like, you need prayer. Prayer is essential. It's the weapon that we have that God has given us to fight our temptations, to fight the enemy, to fight the culture of the world. That's the, 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 the weapon that we have. It's essential to every Christian walk and much more important than we understand. Five minutes, ten minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you have. Get to, get to your bathroom, get to your closet, get to your office, wherever you need to go. Get on your knees and say, God, I want to start to pray. And go from there. Okay, that's number one. I got like eight more. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man, that... <laughs> number two, we should develop a culture of speaking life. How do you respond to troubles? How do you respond to things that you struggle with? How do you respond to bad things that happen to you? Um, it's hard to, to, to develop that culture of speaking life, but we have to come to a place where we understand that everything that happens in our life, whether we have control of it or not, that we can still have good perspective in everything that happens. God doesn't always want to change your circumstance. Sometimes God just wants to change your perspective. And sometimes God just wants to teach you how to see good things in bad situations. He wants to teach us how to, how to speak life over the things that we go through, how to speak goodness over our financial problems, how to speak goodness over our job issues, how to speak goodness over our relationships and our marriages and our homes, right? He wants to teach us that we have to speak life into these things. The worst thing that we can do, and I, I'm, I know I'm talking about a lot about marriage today, but this is the message. The worst thing that we can do in a relationship is say, oh, they'll never change, or they'll always be this way. They'll always be that way. They'll, their attitude is always going to be that crazy, right? Like if we're constantly saying these things, then that's what we're speaking into our relationships. Or, oh, my finances will never get better. I'll never get a better job. I'll never have a better opportunity. My bank account will never grow. I'll never be. If we're always speaking these things into our situations, then that's what we're going to have. But the Bible talks to us and says, it says this in Proverbs 18.21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it matters how you talk about things. It matters how you talk about your situations. It matters how you talk about your boss. It matters how you talk about your job. Are you guys following me today? You have control over your own perspective. You may not have control over your situation, but you have control over how you respond to that situation. Amen. Amen. We need to speak life into our situations, but, but, but not only into our situations, we need to speak life into each other. You know, one th the one kind of church I do not want to have is the one where people can sneak in and out of the church and never be noticed. I do not want that kind of church. Like, I want to be the kind of church that the visitors are like, oh, man, they wouldn't let me leave. Like, <laughs> they just kept talking to me, and, and people kept coming up to me, and I was like, man, I just want to go eat Whataburger. I mean, I don't know who would want Whataburger, but, like, they'll go to, like, Whataburger. Oh, God. Right, like... Me, me and Corey. So Corey's been a part of like our church for like I think almost since we got here, and and he loves Whataburger. And so we have this debate constantly. I think that's like our life now. But anyway, what was I saying? Oh, Whataburger. Um, it's terrible. But but I want I want the <laughs> I want the culture in our church where people come and they feel like they're welcome, right? Like they feel like they're loved. 
They feel like it doesn't matter how they dress or how they look or how, how they smell even. Like, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter the, whatever it is. Like, we want them to come to this place and feel welcome. But how that starts is the way that we talk about each other. The way that we talk to each other. We should be encouragers of one another. We should speak life into each other. Like, when you have an issue, when you're going through something, talk to somebody here. Be honest with it. Man, I'm struggling. It's hard for me to come to church. It's hard for me to get connected. It's hard for me to, to relate. Talk to people because I guarantee you that somebody will say, hey, man, we love you. And we care about you. And we're here for you. They may not have the answers for you, but I'm here. Right? One thing that we want to stop right now, we never want a culture of is gossip, ever. I hate gossip. I think it's, it's, a, it's a divider of the church. We never want to develop gossip here. And the way that we overcome gossip is we constantly speak highly of each other. We constantly speak highly to each other. Now, that doesn't mean we, we, we um, what's the word? We, that doesn't mean we just cover up sin and we cover up things that are wrong. And we're like, hey, man, no matter what you do, you're good. Like, you're, you're, you're a good, like, that's not what we do. But when we bring correction and when there is time to say, hey, man, maybe you should stop doing that or you should stop going there, we do it out of love. Because we know that we love each other, so we know that if somebody tells us something, it's out of love. It's not out of pride. It's not out of hate. It's not out of bitterness. It's out of love. And so if we develop that culture here of speaking life into each other, then we develop a culture of life itself. Because what does it say? It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So if we speak highly of each other, then we become what we speak about each other. So if somebody says, man, I'm just weak, I'm struggling, and I say, hey, man, you're strong. You can do this. God is with you. You can overcome. What am I saying? I'm saying you are not, you're not a victim, but you're an overcomer. And so if I'm speaking that into their life, then they will become that because there are people who believe what God says about other people. Amen? Amen. All right. Be an encourager. And this is my last point. And if I could have my beautiful wife, I believe she's with the kids. Somebody can grab her. And, and, and my beautiful friend David. <laughs> Come up here too. <laughs> is, this, is this helping anybody today? Like, are you gonna, like, these are things you can take home today and say, man, I could start this right now. All right. Last but not least is we should develop a culture of listening to the word of God. Now, I don't mean audiobooks. That's not what I'm saying. Although audiobooks are amazing, and I love audiobooks. I didn't read a book until I found audiobooks. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but we should develop a culture of listening to the Word of God. And what, am I, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is allowing the Word of God to teach us and allowing the Word of God to guide our life. In Psalms 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. A culture of people that listen to the word of God will find a lesson in every circumstance. Will find a reason for every trial. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my trials. Like, I don't want to just go through something and not, and not grow through something as cheesy and cliche as that sounds, right? Like, we grow through it, not go through it. But I don't want to do that. I want to learn from my mistakes. I want to learn from my trials. And we do that by developing a, a culture that listens to the voice of God. Because when we abide by his word, we're able to learn through our trials. We're able to learn from the time that we spend with him. But to abide by his word really means to be obedient to it. 
And as adults, I know that when we hear like, oh, you have to be obedient, you're like, no, that's for my kids. Like, I don't need to be obedient. I'm a man. I'm like, I'm a grown, I'm a grown person. Like, like you can't really tell me who to be obedient to. And if that's if that's your take on life, then so be it. But I know that God is much smarter than I am. Like, I know that 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 the way his plans are, are a lot better than mine. And so I want to develop a life that is obedient to his word. And obedience requires humility. Obedience requires an individual who say, you know what, God, whatever you want, I'll, I will do it. If you want me to stop going to those places, I'll stop going. If you want me to stop, to get out of that relationship, I'll get out of the relationship. God, if you want me to, like, do anything, I'll do whatever you want me to do because I want to be obedient to your word. This also means that we love like the word tells us to love, unconditionally. We don't just love people that love us, but we love our enemies. I hate the preaching that says, oh, you got to prove your haters wrong. Like, I'm like, where does it say that in the Bible? Where does it ever say to prove a hater wrong in scripture? Like, I don't see it. What does it say? It says to love those who hate you. It doesn't say to prove them wrong. It says to love them. So when we say we're going to be obedient to the word of God, that means we're obedient and we love people. We forgive people. We forgive. I love this saying. My dad says it all the time. He says, just let it go. Let it go. But they did this. They did Just let it go. Forgive. Because forgiveness is more about you than the one who hurt you. I think, I forgot how the, there was a lady who said it this way. Forgiveness is, I think it was the, the medication to the infection in your heart. So forgiveness, I forgot her name. I wish I could quote her. I think her name is Rachel Cam, Cam, Campbell. But if you have bitterness with somebody or somebody's hurt you in the past, forgiveness is not really for them, but it's for you. It's for you to allow that, 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 that tie to your life to be gone. To say, I forgive that individual. But that's hard to do, but we can only see that in Scripture because the world doesn't tell us to forgive those who hurt us. It tells us to prove them wrong. But the Scripture says forgive them. We forgive the way that the Bible says to forgive. And, and lastly, we, do, do you, do you, are you generous the way the Bible says to be generous? Like, do you give the way the Bible says to give? I know it's like, well, now the preacher's up here talking about giving. I'm like, no, you haven't heard nothing yet because we haven't taken offering. But I'm serious. It's important to give. Do you give the way Scripture says to give? The, the money that we give to the church doesn't go into my pocket. Like, it's not like I get richer off the church. If anything, I give to the church too. <laughs> like, I, we do this because it's what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. And we have to develop this culture of, of being obedient to the Word of God. Because when we're obedient to the word of God, and this is the last thing, when we're obedient to the word of God, we walk in the promises of God. We see that Abraham, out of his obedience, he received what? The promise. He received the inheritance. He received generations. He received a lifelong of, he's like a, a historical figure, like he's Abraham. But that was because he was obedient. See, the truth is this, that God has promises for every one of you. He has a life for every one of you. He has a plan for every one of you. But you only receive it out of obedience. We receive this when we're obedient to God. So develop a, a culture of prayer in your daily life, a culture of speaking life in your daily life, and a culture of obeying and listening to the word of God in your daily life. You do those three things, I guarantee you. Uh, if you practice that over the next month, I promise you by the, by the end of the month, you'll be like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who I am. So let's bow our heads close our eyes.
Thank you again for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. For more information on our church, you can visit our website, reclaimchurchtx.com.